When he was her age, he was already a breaker boy. His fingers sliced mercilessly as he picked slate from the coal swishing by, breathing so much dust in his early years, dust causing the coughing she hears here in the poem as he climbs the stairs from the basement and says two words, almost sacramental in their sense. Remember me, remember me, he says, as he presents her with a gift that captures in some sense the sense of his life in coal, a pendant, a necklace with a piece of coal shaped like a teardrop. How perfect, a tear, as she remembers his sacrifice for his family, as he and the other miners, as she puts it, extracted somebody else's plunder. Just part of a poem titled A Coal Necklace by Maria Giacchetti from a collection titled Medusa's Hairdresser. Faced with such loss, pain, and lack, many children of such miners fled the region. As a poet, Maria gives us a big butt in the final lines. But for some, the earth is a jewel box, and we know she is among those. Not helpless or hopeless, even knowing all the history she does. Maria Giacchetti paid a visit to the WVIA studios, and we asked her first why Hazelton means so much to her and why she stays. And we'll learn of the fierceness of Medusa, the fire she embraces. Maria Giacchetti was appointed as the second poet laureate of Hazelton. She is a journalist and educator whose book-length translations of Pablo Neruda and Gabriela Mistral have been recognized here and abroad. She has been invited by artist Robert Stark to host a poetry reading this Sunday at Susquehanna Studio in Uniondale. She will be joined by Lester Hirsch from the Susquehanna Valley and by Jennifer Ackman, who will present poems by a writer from an earlier time who has something of Medusa's fierceness in her, too. And now we have a chance to ask Maria Giacchetti, why Hazelton? I have deep roots there. My paternal grandparents, they weren't even in their 20s. They settled in Hazelton uh, with two babies in their arms. They were probably married in their early teens, left Italy. And my grandmother went on to have 11 children, settled on the, uh, this place in Hazelton called Nanny Goat Hill. She did have goats, so perhaps it was named after her, but she wasn't the only one. They did their subsistence farming in those days. And so uh, I grew up on that street with lots and lots of relatives around me, as you can imagine, uncles and aunts and cousins, you know. Uh, Wayne and I had to move away in order to make a living because Hazleton has not been very good at supporting people who are either highly skilled, let's say, or have college degrees. But we kept our house, the house my mother bought when I was 14, and we would come home on weekends because we really didn't love the hustle and bustle of New York City life that much. Uh, you, you never slow down. I think when I remember my time in New York City, Jersey City, and even Bayonne, which was a little bit quieter, my problem is, is you're always whoosh in motion. And I really need personally, and this is part of being a poet too, I need to be able to breathe, to settle down. I also need to see nature. And I live on a street in Hazleton that has a 14-acre woods at the end of the street. We have all kinds of animals now because of climate change and because of development. When I was growing up, you really didn't see them. They had lots of woods. But now we have foxes. We've had bears. 
I've had reports of bobcats, coyotes within city limits. And I guess as long as you're as long as you know that they're wild animals, it's okay. But the story behind that is they're losing their habitat with lots and lots of deer. Deer are our everyday visitors. So I would say I'm interested in Hazleton because I have roots there and my husband has roots in Weatherly and in the area. We've been married almost 40 years. So, you know, I I think he sees Hazleton as home as well. So to answer your question, it's really a question of roots and also documenting the changes, uh, which I have done in, in several poems, documenting the changes. So it is home, but home is changing And when I'm not writing poetry, I am being active in the community, trying to keep us sane in terms of our development. And what I want to see is green development. Do you have a Hazleton poem before or after the changes? I actually do. I have two manuscripts I'm working on right now. My book, Medusa's Hairdresser, was published in 2015, so it's been a long time. I'm due for another. The the book of more traditional free verse is called Ferocious. And then I have a bunch of short poems, a lot of haiku, and that's called The Strawberry Nun. Well, this is very much of a Hazleton poem about that neighborhood that I grew up in and about the roots I talk about. The title of it is A Field of Grass. Now, I'll just give a little tiny bit of background information on it. The homestead was my grandmother and grandfather's. I lived there. uh, My father died when I was nine. My mother tried to handle it. It was just impossible, so she sold it. And we moved to Hazleton Heights, where we've been ever since. But the house burned very quickly after, I think it was less than a year, the house just burnt down. And I always kind of thought I'd go back there, I'd buy it, I'd fix it up, I'd you know, make an urban farm, something like that. My father was a breaker boy for 48 years. He died of black lung disease. And this house was his pinnacle of achievement. Big house, catty corner from the church, which my grandmother kind of started because there was no church when they came over from Italy, but the house was there and they said mass in the storefront until the church was built. So, I mean, in a very microcosmic way, this was an incredibly important place for me. But now when I go there, uh, there's a house built on the other end of the lot, which was quite big. And where our house was, it's like a phantom. I get like a phantom pain there because it's just a field of grass. So I'll read that one for you. Where the old homestead towered upon the steep slant of Cybert Street Hill, nothing of our lives remained for naked eyes, all gone into the fire of strangers, a holocaust in miniature, now covered in seething grass, plush with memories for those who can see ghosts. Nature's way is to grow over wounds, ghosts return to spectral mansions. We were gone a year already, living a newer life. The old house sold for a song, Aunt Millie said. Some say it was arson, but set by the new owners or an angry phantom who could not stand strangers populating the legacy of a breaker boy's dream of respectability. Four floors of spacious achievement, that attic so close to the stars. Owning the home on the corner lot, Caddy cornered across the street from the Italian parish church, all the world envying the real estate he had inherited, something to be passed on to generations. I would have bought it back with my blood had the house endured long enough, had I not watched my childhood flame away there, had I not beheld my mother gasping with regret and relief. For the dream, of course, just for your dream. When you talk about wanting always as a poet to communicate, you set us up for that, but 
it's so much more than telling the story that you told us before. Oh, yes. It's the line breaks. It's the breaths you take and the pauses, just enough. And the musicality, all the S sounds, for example. Right. I I think a lot of people still expect poetry to rhyme. And uh, it was really Walt Whitman who set us free in that way, Song of Myself. Walt Whitman was very special to Galway Cannell, by the way. I took a number of courses with him. And Emily Dickinson was sort of back and forth with that. She does have poems that rhyme, but also you can see in, in Dickinson where she's trying to break free of the rhyme because, well, when I was at NYU in the poetry program, this idea came across. It, I don't remember being in a workshop when anybody ever presented a rhyming poem, never. And the whole idea was that in this age, we had to be more natural and we had to break down walls. And having to follow a certain rhyme scheme was like a girdle on our creativity, that kind of thing. But the tricky thing is, and it goes with what you have just mentioned, how is this not ordinary speech, right? Because people might think, oh, that's a prose poem, it doesn't rhyme, or maybe it's not a poem at all. Other things have to be going on. There has to be internal music, sometimes internal rhyme, sometimes slant rhyme, sometimes, if it occurs naturally. That's where I'm at as a poet. If the, if the rhyme occurs naturally, if it's organic to the poem, I'll use it, but I'm not going to force a rhyme on, onto it. So uh, what I see is, indeed, the music becomes maybe a little bit more difficult, m- maybe not. I write in a very right-brained trance state. You know, I listen to music that puts me in that state. Sometimes you're giving me that music. I'm very fond of, of writing to Bach and Mozart. Incredible for, for writing, for accessing the right brain. Now, if you really are able to access the right brain, not rhyming shouldn't be a problem because the right brain is musical. It's also curious. It likes epiphanies. It's hungry for epiphanies. On the other hand, if I had to rhyme, I don't know how I would do that if I had to be a rhyme poet. <laughs> I'm not sure. So right now, uh, poets are like our society. They, they have to be. The real poets have to be like our society where we're questioning old forms of being. It's lovely to read a Shakespearean sonnet. It's exquisite. You know, I had to memorize those for Galway's class and other rhymed poems. He made us memorize them. But we're not living in that age. I would say this. Life does not rhyme for us. There's too much going on. I mean, COVID-19, the problems in Ukraine, um, Putin with how many threats of using nuclear weapons has he made over one year. All of this doesn't fit into a rhyme scheme, at least not for me. Maybe there's some genius out there who can make it. But I, I have to write what's organic. Do you have something else for us? Sure, I have a lot. During April, which is Poetry Month, my friends and I in the poetry group, we write a poem every day and we share them. And then my friends have decided one month of poetry is not enough, so we do it again for the whole month of October. And so I do have some things from, we call it October verse. Yeah, let me read you October Rain. This is one of the poems from October verse. And this is about my backyard, really, where I get so much inspiration from our victory garden, from the animals who occasionally wander in. October rain, be kind to these mountains of leftover coal. Nourish the green that still will grow with Orion overhead, wheeling down into the backyard where a swoosh of rabbits wait to feed the dawn of whatever grows in warm and steady love. It's just the right length. Not only because you have to write a poem a day so you keep them short, but because it is a short prayer, a kind of blessing, 
and you leave it there. Yeah, and, and literally, uh, we have worked almost 40 years on our backyard. It's our little Eden. It's, it is fenced in where the deer would eat everything. <laughs> but this is a, a feeling that I get when I enter that space of being uh, so close to nature and nature being so close to me. And Orion, of course, says, oh, yes, we're here in the fall. And, and Yes, and Orion is the hunter, and my backyard is filled with rabbits. So um, I, I think, though, the rabbits probably make it if the local cats don't get them. Only by suggestion or indirection, there's a bit of the red in tooth and claw to what we've just been saying about rabbits and cats and so on. But you do write from today and the experience that doesn't rhyme in our world. There is a poem that I wrote about a friend of mine getting caught in a police, in a very, very difficult police dragnet, I guess. Guns, she's walking to the vet or to get her car or something like that from West Hazleton to Hazleton. And all of a sudden she gets caught in a police action. And it was extremely dangerous. This actually happened to her twice, but I only wrote one. This poem is almost journalism. It, it just talks about she had to get out of there because it was going to, I hate to say this, but in my city, shots fired are pretty much every day. Okay, and I don't like that, and I'd love, it, love to change it, and I work against it. But she walked into a police action, and she was in danger. So I did write a poem about that. It's in Medusa's Hairdresser, and it's called Walking for Health. Walking down Broad Street, into the showdown, she strays. Guns drawn not for her, but on her, too, as her life depends on whether the crook drops to the ground, leaps into her arms, or uses her as a human shield. This is not the Middle East or Middle Earth. This is not the city of brotherly love or the Bronx. This is home. Today, luck has made her able to walk back home to feed her dog and cats, as visions of revolvers dance in her head. Go home, lady, go home, get the hell out of here. And so she runs like the athlete she was 40 years ago. We walk about the city on a vision quest, and like archaeologists pick up scraps of days of endless Halloween when we dressed up as naturally and so normally as Norman Rockwell painted us for the covers of the Saturday Evening Post. That past lives on somewhere in us, and on microfish. So, uh, yeah, I think those kind of incidents, it's certainly not Emily Dickinson, and it's not even Walt Whitman, although he, he was a nurse in the Civil War. Uh, this is our new reality. I'm a reporter, too. I'm a journalist. I wrote a lot about crime. I got a Keystone Award for a shooting I covered on, um, on Wyoming Street, gang shooting it was. And three of us had to cover it. It was, it was such a hot story. We all got a Keystone Award for it. So, you know, I wasn't happy when they told me to go out the door and cover that story either. I'm grumbling under my breath. I'm supposed to be the education reporter. Well, there are not enough reporters to cover the big stories. And that was a big, difficult story to cover, um, that shooting on Wyoming Street. So I think writing about crime and telling it realistically, naturalistically, is just what I have to do. Tell us about Ferocious, then, the collection you're gathering poems for. The word is so strong. Yeah, I was attacked twice in 2018, severely. And so I write about the attacks. Yeah. Uh, and also, just being a woman, you know, uh, I've run for office and, and uh, I, I get a lot of trolling because of my politics. So I have two choices. 
either I roll up into a ball and, and maybe write greeting card verse that nobody wants to read, really, or I write romance novels or something like that, or I get up and I fight. And I am a warrior. I am a warrior for the good, and I will fight. Ferocious is a book about having to fight for my life. Poet Maria Giacchetti, journalist, educator, translator, and second poet laureate of Hazleton, visiting the WVIA studios in anticipation of a reading she will present this Sunday at Susquehanna Studio in Uniondale. Also featured, Jennifer Ackman, historical reenactor and Maria's cousin. We had a chance to check in with her by phone about her presentation at Susquehanna Studio on Sunday. I'm going to be dressed as Louisa May Alcott from the 1860s, and I'll be reading some of her poetry. I, I don't think that a lot of people realize that she wrote poetry from a very young age. Some of it was published, some of it was not published. So I did a little bit of a deep dive into her poetry, and I pulled out a couple of poems I think are significant that kind of speak to Louisa her time period, and what she was interested in and what captured her imagination and her heart and her thinking at that time. Would we know, would we recognize those subjects of interest if we knew her other writing, or is it something that is a side experience for her as a writer? I think a a lot of her writing is definitely a side experience. I mean, she wrote poems throughout her childhood stories. They're they're interspersed in there, but I'm not going to read any of those poems. There's poetry that she wrote that's found in Little Women in the book itself, in other of her children's literature. But I'm going to pull out some other types of poetry. One, One in particular she wrote on the death of Thoreau when he passed away. He was very significant to her, and she composed a poem that was printed in the Atlantic Monthly on his death. That and, and then two other poems that, again, I think speak to her personally, but I'm sure that most people would not be familiar with them. Maria and I were talking about rhymed poetry. Is her work in a form? Is there rhyming in what she's created? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's very it's rather traditional but she talks about all kinds of different things, and she uses different voices in the different poetry, depending on whether it's the children's poetry or whether it's the stuff I'm going to recite, the more uh, adult poetry that she produced. When you come to the studio, you dress, and you have such a concern for detail and capturing the period in however you dress. What are the images you have of her? And how are you dressing appropriately? Well, when I portray her, generally, I portray her in her early 30s during the time of the Civil War because she was a nurse with the Union Hotel Hospital for a short amount of time during the Civil War. And so with the reenacting group that I'm part of, I've taken on her persona and I portray her at that point in her life. So I'll show up in American Civil War attire. Now, of course, she lived up until the uh, 1880s, so her, you know, her clothing and, and hairstyle and whatnot changes as, as she ages. 
but um, mostly that's when I go to do a portrayal, I will go as 1860s Louisa. Back in May, the National Museum of Civil War Medicine had me come and speak for Women's History Month, and I came as Louisa in the 1860s. So that's generally how I portray her these days. Metaphorically speaking, because we know about poetry and metaphor, do you have a sense that what you do and the sense of history that you bring to us through Louisa May Alcott, is there something that is healing for us? We know that there's still open wounds from the Civil War and the times mm-hmm. and so forth. Do you help us open our eyes to what it might have been like then? I like to think so. One of the poems I am going to do uh, when we have the poetry reading is about the sanitary fair which were um, means of creating funding that uh, communities would put together. They would sell objects, items that they had made or produced or whatever to help soldiers and people that were affected by, by the war. And Louisa's family felt the bitterness and the acrimony and, and, the, and, and just all the horribleness that goes with the Civil War. They felt it deeply. They were abolitionists, and they were rabid abolitionists. They sided with William Lloyd Garrison. That was one of their their friends. And so they really put themselves out there for their principles. And they didn't just talk the talk. She went to war, and she went, and and she was was taken ill at the hospital while she was was ministering to the soldiers. And she carried that illness, the, the effects of that, for the rest of her life. So I do like to feel that when I go out there and speak as her, I'm hopefully bringing some humanity to all of that and and giving people a look at what it means to to have a cause and believe in it and and believe that you're righteous about it and, and to care and want to make a change in the world. Maria, lean in and tell the story about little Jen. I don't know if you remember this, Jen, but I, I do. For some reason, I was staying overnight or for the weekend at your home. I think it might have been a snowstorm. I usually used to go back to Hazleton, but I couldn't get back. And I, I'm 63, so I think I'm about 10 years older than you. You were maybe about 10, and I saw you reading very, how can I say, energetically, devoutly. All your energy was going into this book. And I said, well, what are you reading, Jennifer? And uh, you told me you were reading Little Women. And uh, you went on to explain to me why you liked it, how moving it was, and I, I remember that quite vividly. You know, the, the seed was planted in you in a very young age. And what did her yeah. mom say? Oh, your mom said, most recently at my daughter's wedding, that you are the reincarnation of Louisa May Alcott. <laughs> it sounds like she's been a companion. A soul companion, really. She certainly has. I don't feel that I qualified to represent her and represent her credibly. You know, it's sort of like that stolen valor kind of deal. People say wonderful things to me when I come as Louisa May Alcott, but, you know, it's not me, of course. It's nothing I've ever done. But I think she has a story to tell. I think she's not done telling that story. Someone once told me that that you don't pick your persona. Your persona chooses you. And I think I've told you before, Eric, about how I got into to portraying Louise Malcott. It was chosen for me, but I do think she chose me, humble person that I that I hope I am, <laughs> because you know the things she did are amazing, and and the stuff that she supported. She's very modern in her thinking. 
she's, she supported things we still don't have as women. And so, you know, if I can bring that to young people and get them to open their eyes, especially young women, and show them that women have been fighting for a very long time for these things and that we're not done yet. There are things we still need to do. And if if me acting through her can especially inspire people to read, young people to read, then I've done a very, a very little bit, you know, with my time here. Maria, then tell us something more about this event that's going to be bringing you and Jen and others together. I think it was 1986. I was about 26. We uh, got asked to read at Bob Stark's Susquehanna Studio. It's in Uniondale. That was such a wonderful experience for us. And uh, I got back in touch with Bob Stark through Facebook, actually. A few years ago, he asked me if I could put together a a reading. It didn't quite click then. But this year, uh, I'm calling it the Gringo the Decades reading, a celebration of Northeastern Pennsylvania poets and poetry. And I do want to say that uh, right now we have three readers. I'll be reading along with Lester Hirsch, who's from uh, the uh, Bucknell region, Lewisburg, and also Jen. So we have three so far. We are open to having several more readers and I can give my phone number and my email. I I don't know that we could handle a lot more poets from the region this time, but I would say maybe five, upwards of five, we could invite. And then if it goes well, maybe make it annual if Bob is, I think he would love that actually. They would have to send me a few of their poems. Maybe five would be a good number for all of us to read five poems. And uh, poetry, and I think in an age that's become so left-brained and mechanistic, we poets are kind of marginalized. So uh, we need to revitalize poetry in our region. That would be a goal that I have here, and get young people interested. Poet Maria Giacchetti, journalist, educator, translator, second poet laureate of Hazleton, visiting the WVIA studios in anticipation of the reading she just described. That's this Sunday at Susquehanna Studio in Uniondale. Jennifer Ackman will also be featured, and Jen is an historical reenactor, member of the board of the Luzerne County Historical Society, longtime volunteer with the Lackawanna Historical Society. You may have heard her on Art Scene as she has spoken in the past about coordinating the Civil War Ball in Scranton for the Lackawanna Historical Society for almost two decades and so much more. And she will appear as Louisa May Alcott at this Sunday's reading at Susquehanna Studio in Uniondale, and also Lester Hirsch, who is also a singer-songwriter. If you'd like to be part of the reading, just send an email to artscene at wvia.org, and I will send you Maria's email and phone number, and that is artscene, A-R-T-S-C-E-N-E, at wvia.org. If you'd like to read on Sunday afternoon at Susquehanna Studio in Uniondale, then just send an email and let me know, and I'll send you Dr. Giacchetti's contact information. Up to five poets, so don't hold back. That's artscene at wvia.org.